We continue today in a series that we are calling Overflow. And before we start into that series, we're going to talk about uh, the way in which hopefully you're practicing letting God's grace overflow out of you. Uh, We've been having these monthly challenges. Uh, This month, we're having the challenge of a digital detox. And what we meant specifically by that is that it is a time of disconnecting out of social media for the purpose of it's not just to 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 practice Ludditism or to go Amish, but it's for the purpose of pulling away from these distractions so that we might connect with one another. That could be with family, friends, neighbors, people within the body of Christ. Now, uh, I have been taking this thing yesterday. Man, this is uh, here we are mostly through this challenge. Uh, for those of you who are, have taken it, um, you will not believe the number of people that giddily report to me how many people are not taking the challenge. Uh, you'll never believe what they post on Facebook, but you'll never know. Um, <laughs> and that's fine. Um, I, I want to, to push back just a little bit and say, and ask yourself why, if you haven't taken the challenge, you've been afraid to do so. Uh, I think there was a world before 2003. I, I can vaguely remember it. Uh, you, you know, you hear all sides, oh, I need the connection. Oh, I only see my grandkids. I say, oh, I only, you know, I work and all of these things. So today is a perfect opportunity. We have a week left in the month. And if you haven't been taking this challenge, I want to challenge you. Do you think you could? Oh, yeah, yeah, I can do it. I don't really check it that much. I don't really need it. Okay, okay. All I want you to do, uh, and, and not in a public spectacle of your righteousness or you're taking the challenge, but just pull out your phone, you know, while I get to kind of a slow part in the sermon, and just slowly and gradually delete the apps from your phone. And say, I, yeah, I haven't done it for a month, but I'll do it for a week. I'll just see how it goes. Just see what happens when you remove distraction and, and begin to still your mind and your heart to listen to God. As those of you have been on the challenge, and I would love to hear your ideas on this, if you've been taking the challenge, the concern I have is now 10 days, you know, I guess seven days from now, technically we're out of the challenge. It will be interesting to hear the stories of how it went, but what I'm thinking about is how do I ease back into social media without letting it slowly and gradually and surely take me back over? Uh, if you're taking the challenge and you've thought about that or you're wondering that yourself, I'd love to talk to you. Text me, call me, email me. Uh, let's connect and see what uh, your ideas are on about how we be social And be in social media without let social media pull us away from being present with one another. That's what grace is all about. It's it's giving something that which uh, is not expected. And so what we're doing in this challenge is giving our children, giving our friends the gift of presence without having to be distracted by what the rest of the world is doing. Now, we are today in a series uh, currently that's called Overflow. And the basis of this is looking at the difference that Jesus makes in our lives. Uh, Open your Bibles to 2 Peter chapter 1. 
verses 5 through 8, this letter which was written by Peter is the last time we'll hear from the apostle that Jesus called Cephas. And he speaks, if you read not just the words, but between the words, you can hear Peter saying, here's the way in which Jesus has impacted my life. And if you'll let him, here's the way Jesus will impact yours. Second Peter chapter 1, our key text is 5 through 8. I'm going to read a little bit of context around that. Verse 3, his divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he has given us very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate. This is cool in the divine nature. God calls us to participation in something much greater than ourselves. And and he goes on, escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. So he says this for this very reason, add to your faith goodness and to goodness, knowledge, and to knowledge, self-control, and to self-control, perseverance, and to perseverance, godliness, and to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, love. For if you possess these qualities, these are not personalities, these are not gifts, these are qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge Of our Lord Jesus Christ. But if anyone does not have them, he is nearsighted and blind and has forgotten that he has been cleansed from his past sins. I love that picture, too, because as someone who's both nearsighted and farsighted. But but when I take particularly the contacts out of my eyes and particularly out of the left eye, I am effectively blind. Uh, There was one time I was preaching along and a contact, one of my contact lenses just fell out of my right eye. And I was way off balance, okay? I was preaching clearly to this side of the congregation, but to this side it just looked like smudges of color. What Peter says here is when we fail to seek improving the qualities of Christ-likeness in our lives, what we're really doing is being nearsighted, blind toward what God really intends to do in our lives. It's it's a powerful picture. And so in his last letter, Peter describes a life overflowing with grace. He makes a list, and we're going through these qualities one at a time. We said it starts with faith. That's the foundation. Then says Peter says, add to your faith goodness. Uh, it is the quality of godly character, moral Excellence. We said that God is not just good as we define good. God is all of the good. God is is the purest kind of good that is not a subjective standard. Is object absolute goodness that is with God. He cannot be anything other than good because it's within His nature. This week, I wanted to talk about goodness from a, a different quality of a different way of viewing it, and that is. The aspect of excellence. What I mean in that is not perfection. So we're still on goodness in the list. But but there's an excellence that we bring to something. I think Christians should be award-winning type of people in all that they do. 
Whether they teach, whether they are in IT, whether they code websites, whether they're accountants, uh, even when they're retired, when they, when they bring in Christ into their life, there should be in every respect a level of excellence and quality. Uh, this is, to think about the English word good, sometimes you'll speak of someone else and you'll say, I know that guy, he's a good guy. And sometimes you'll say, oh, I know him, he's good. I have a neighbor whose name is Steve. Steve works for AT&T, where Steve and I were talking across the fence one day, and I knew that he worked at AT AT&T. I said, by the way, do you happen to know Andy Duncan? He thought for a minute. This is where I got a little nervous. He said, Andy, Andy. Tall guy, gray hair, likes likes to run a lot. Oh, I know Andy. Andy's a great guy. He's excellent at what he does. I know that when I go to a job where Andy's been, I don't have to double check anything. Andy is great. I have a lot of respect for Andy in what I do. Now, I... I I was proud in that moment, and I wasn't even Andy. Because Andy understood and and really conveys well this idea of bringing excellence to what you do. I don't know exactly how many years Andy's been working for AT&T, but a, a long time. He's put in a lot of hours and a lot of time to mastering his craft. That's what I'm talking about this morning. He's committed to being the guy that's excellent, who's mastered his craft, that when other people mention him in conversation, at the very least of those things, it's, oh, Andy, he's good. You don't have to worry when Andy's on the job. I heard the story third hand, so I I will share it, but I will not. uh, Yeah, I will share it. Don Mock is an earth mover. And sometimes when you're moving earth, you have to get certain officials within government to sign off that it's okay to move this earth in this way. This person was move, uh, needed that project done. The proper paperwork had not been filed. The official in charge of that said, who's doing the work? They said, Don Mock. They said, don't worry about it. You're approved. Even though you don't have the paperwork, we know who Don is. Don does Excellent work. Do you see what I'm talking about? Everything that we do as Christians should be with a manner of excellence. In every field, there are examples of excellence. In his book entitled, or titled Outliers, the author Malcolm Gladwell looks at the, what are the trends? What are the, the things that we might be able to repeat the qualities of what make great people great? And I'm not talking about eternal value here. I'm talking about people who are excellent about what they do. Malcolm puts out a theory. He says it's the theory of 10,000 hours. Roughly 20 years or uh, 10,000 hours is equivalent to 20 hours a week for 10 years. You can do it in less time if you put in more time per week, or it'll take you longer if you put in less time per week. But on the average, 10,000 hours takes good people to a level of greatness and excellence in anything they do. 
He tells the story about elite Canadian hockey players. One thing he noticed about elite Canadian hockey players is that all of them had January birthdays. Not all of them, but a lot of them, a larger portion than average, had birthdays in January. He began to ask, well, why is that? Is there some sort of connection between these elite ice hockey players and their birthdays all happening to be in January? They studied it. The cutoff age, you know, as you may surmise, in Canada, ice hockey is sort of a big deal. It's kind of like football in Texas, okay? It's a second religion, okay? It, it is a big deal. And so they begin training kids to play ice hockey at very young ages, three or four. The age cutoff is January 1. When you're three or four years old and you have a birthday where you just turn three years old and you're able to begin playing versus when you don't turn three until the very end of the year and you have to wait until the next year to come in, the kid who has almost an entire year of an advantage at that age is huge. These kids who are just have the advantage of being born at the right time have an entire year to learn the skill. They physically mature faster. They are noticed for their excelling athletic prowess and they are coached better. They get into better teams going faster. It's just an exponential role that began when they were just born at the right time. And so many of the exceptional elite players are elite players because they it all started with that one year ahead. And so that by the time the other kids in similar age are catching up, they're already farther down the path. And they're closer to getting that 10,000 hours required before they master their craft on the rink. Bill Gates, when he was... A young man went to a private school. His family was quite wealthy. And his mother, I think it was, worked for IBM. And she was able to get the school a personal computer with access to a server in 1968. When there were people who were 50 years older than Bill Gates who did not have access to a personal computer with access to a server. Bill was able to program and learn to code from the age of 13 and have at least 11 solid years of mastering the craft of coding and uh, computer uh, programming languages to a level that by the time the PC was making its appearance on the world stage, the man who knew the most or or one of the men who knew the most about coding and programming was William Gates. He had mastered his craft as a, as a young man. He did put in that 10,000 hours at a time when even having a personal computer was very rare, let alone having one with access to a server at that time, the Beatles performed before they broke into the world stage. They performed in Hamburg, Germany over 1,200 times between 1960 and 1964 before they appeared on the world stage. They had put in all of the hours. Some people say this, say this principle this way. You have to pay your dues to get good at anything. It doesn't just happen. I wonder what Peter would say would made him excellent. Because we think not of Peter as a the, you know, kind of crude, coarse fisherman, but as the apostle Peter. Peter would say it was Jesus 
that made all the difference. In Acts chapter 4, verse 13, Peter and John are here as the church is just in its infancy, and they are going before the Sanhedrin, and their their courage and the way in which Peter speaks, starting verse 8, Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit, and he preaches to them with courage and conviction. There is no waffling. There is no trepidation. There is zero fear in Peter's eyes. What happened to Peter, who, as you will recall, was denying that he even knew Jesus, not once, not twice, but three times when, when inquisitioned by a servant girl. Something happened to Peter, and Peter would say that the answer was Jesus. And I think that those who were listening to Peter came to the same conclusion. Peter finishes his message in verse 12 by saying, Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. Verse 13, this is, this is really cool. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized they were unschooled, they weren't necessarily intelligent or well-educated. They were ordinary men, not men of influence, not men of power, not men connected to wealth. They were astonished. And they took note that these men had been with Jesus. Jesus taught Peter about love and courage and faith and forgiveness. Jesus took a fisherman And transformed him into a fisher of men. And that's just the way Jesus was. And it wasn't just with Peter. It was with the one we call Paul. But that wasn't what early Christians knew him as. They knew him as Saul. And Saul didn't, as far as we know, walk with the early apostles. He wasn't part of that early ministry. He didn't hear Jesus teach. He didn't see the crowds. He wasn't a part of the movement. He wasn't a part of any of that. In fact, he was saying that Christianity was a heresy that needed to be stomped out. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, as Paul reflects on his history before Jesus finally had a blinded-by-the-light moment with Saul and transformed him, This is what the Apostle Paul said about coming to contact with Jesus. Verse 9, For I am the least of the apostles and do not even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But, But by the grace of God, I am what I am and his grace to me was not without Effect. No, I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God was with me. Jesus changed Saul to Paul. He, he converted a Pharisee into a preacher. He turned a persecutor into one who was persecuted because of his love for Jesus. It's beautiful to think about how how. Jesus transformed those that he knew. So my question for you this, I I pose this question to you. What? Jesus asked Peter this question. He said, who do men say that I am? And Peter replied, well, some say John the Baptist. Some say Elijah. Some say Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And Jesus made it personal. This is Matthew chapter 16, if you're following along. 
In Matthew chapter 16, verses 15 and 16, Jesus takes this question about everyone else and he points it right at Peter. And he says, what about you? Who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ. You are, some translations say, the Messiah, the Son of the living God. So here's a question for you. Who do men say that I am? My question is, what about you, Tim Fish? What about you, Grant Dunham? What about you? Who do you believe that Jesus is? And and a preacher asking you that on Sunday morning, uh, yeah, everybody knows the answer. Everybody knows the right thing to say. The real answer is not when you te- what you tell me with your lips, but what you show with your life. Transformation in the life of Peter, in the life of Saul, was always seen and noticed probably long before it was spoken. Transformation with Jesus may be ongoing, but it should always be obvious. First of all, to you, you should be able to look back on your life and see a difference in who you were compared to who you are. And then by other people, they should notice that you are different in how you act and how you think and how you conduct yourself and how you Live every part of your life, they should notice a ongoing transformation. Charles Spurgeon once said it this way, and I thought it was well said, so I'll share it with you. Live in such a way that men will recognize that you have been with Jesus. You see, with Jesus, we are never the same. The, the Peter who wrote this letter that we're studying just the very beginning of was not the same Peter that was called from a fishing boat. He was a different man. But the difference made had nothing to do with Peter and everything to do with Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Son of the living God. The, the difference in Saul being a Hebrew of Hebrews, a Pharisee among Pharisees, uh, compared with, with everyone, a zealot having excellence in all that he did. And yet when he came into contact with Christ, he said, I consider all of that a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord. Make no mistake, I, I don't want you to misunderstand what I'm saying here this morning, especially if you're a first-time guest or or you're with us here and you've just been here a few times and maybe you've lived a hard story. Maybe you're going through some hard things or maybe you have some sins that you're still struggling with or still working on. You've got some hurts, some habits, some hang-ups. I want to invite you to celebrate recovery on Thursday night. And I, I want you to know that Jesus loves you just as you are. There is nothing you will ever do to make Jesus love you less or for that matter more than he does right now. He loves you, as the old song says, just as I am. And he loves you far too much to let you stay the same.
Now think about it. Jesus never, Jesus transformed everyone that he came into contact with. People who were blind their entire lives said, now I can see. Those who had been unable to speak were now able to tell everyone what Jesus had done for them. Which leads us to understand that we all have a choice to make. May we always choose excellence. You do not wander into excellence. Andy Duncan didn't wander into excellence in his job. He made an intentional decision not just to go to work and show up a little early, but to be the best worker he could be with the best attitude he could have Every time he went, excellence then is a decision. Colossians chapter 3, verses 23 and following, the Apostle Paul writes this. He says, so then, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart, note this, as working for the Lord, not for men. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it is the Lord Christ you are serving. Maybe you contribute to a 401k or a 403b or you're part of your company's retirement program or you're nearing the time that you've served 20, 30, 40, maybe even 50 years with the same company and you're wondering, I wonder what, how they will honor me. Let me tell you gently, If they do nothing for you, that's okay. Because their honor is not whose honor you're seeking. In whatever you do, Paul says, you are working for the Lord. You're seeking to honor Him in all you do. Just a few verses earlier, verse 17, Paul says, writes, whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it All in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through him. May we consider all the areas of our life, including our work. I mean, this is a great sermon for for how to be a good worker, how to be a good employee, and, and so forth. But that's not exactly what I'm talking about. I'm talking about applying excellence to all areas of your life. What about your walk with Christ Are you closer to him? Have have you drawn close to him through the pages of this book? Are you in the spirit closer now than you have ever been before? Is your worship done with not a self-centered focus, but a God-centered focus? What is your life with Christ, your walk with him, really like? Your function in the body of Christ. There's a time in the body of Christ when you're just on the receiving end. Everybody's encouraging you. Everybody's teaching you. Everybody's doing something for your kids. My question is, have you reached a point where you're letting that overflow out of you? Do you apply excellence? Have you volunteered to teach a kid's class lately? Have you spoken up and said, hey, I would like to lead this ministry that no one seems to be volunteering for? Or I have this passion and like to help other people in this way. What are you in the body of Christ? Is the part that you play getting stronger or is it just kind of a weak appendage? Don't be an appendix in the body of Christ, okay? Don't be something that's optional. Be something that is absolutely needed and depended upon every day. What about your role in your family? You, you may be a husband or you may be a wife. You may be a mother. You may be a father. You may be a, a child. You may be an older sibling or a younger sibling. You may be a aunt, an uncle, a cousin, 
a brother-in-law, a sister-in-law. Do you bring excellence to your family? When the family events come around, do people look forward to when you're there? Or are you always just complaining about everything? Are they looking at their watch and saying, well, it's probably time for us to go. Bring excellence in your family. Bring excellence in your vocation. Do what you do with excellence. Christians ought to be the very best at what they do. Someone once said, not me, but I don't know exactly who, whatever you are, be a good one. We do this because of Jesus' expectation of us, of all his followers, really. And and he said it this way. Jesus' expectation is spelled out very clearly in Matthew chapter 5. Jesus' expectation is this, that you and I, as followers of him, are the light of the world. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone at AT AT&T. It gives light to everyone where you work. It gives light to everyone in your family. It gives light. It's a continual producer of light. Aim for excellence in all you are. Um, I have to make a confession to you this morning. A couple of weeks ago, I did something I'm not proud of. But you all will find out about it, so I bring it here this morning. I went to a restaurant that served chicken that is not Chick-fil-A. I know, I know. I meet myself right on the front row. I did that because the staff was going to lunch and Becky thought it would be hilarious to make me go to Chicken Max. But actually, Chicken Max was excellent. Had some really good roasted chicken. I can't get that at Chick-fil-A. But you know what really made Chicken Max excellent? There was a man there by, ma- by the name of Larry Allen. Larry Allen had a big smile on his face. He was enthusiastic. He enjoyed his work. He especially loved bringing the Chick-fil-A guy there. He was going to impress him. He brought the food out fast. It was hot. It was tasty. And let me tell you, I can say this morning, because you can't go to Chick-fil-A, you should go to Chicken Max. Not just for the chicken, but for the coach who's excellent at what he does. Raymond Kiefer is a man who he attends here quite often. He and his wife Linda are very faithful in in being here. What you don't know about Raymond is that during the week, he's usually out here, and especially when it's been hot, and he's got his tools out in the back of his truck, and he's trimming trees that probably haven't been touched in 20 years. Because he saw that it needed to be done. He didn't ask to be appointed to the task. He didn't wait for the deacon to take care of it. He just went and did it. And he does it with excellence. I was talking with him this last week and he's saying, I can't, it's just in my nature. I can't do anything less than, than just working the very best at whatever it is I'm doing. Rose Shady, this past weekend, blessed the sisters at the East Point Church of Christ 
in, a, in their ladies' day and shared her story. And I know, although I'm not a lady, so I wasn't there, but I know that Rose brought excellence to what she did, not just because of who she is, but because of what Christ has done in her. Your life and my life was not meant to be put under a bushel. It was meant to be put on a stand to give light to everyone in the house. Your light was meant to be distinct from the surrounding darkness. We learned that the hard way this last week. A man by the name of Dep- Deputy Robert Kunze, 41-year-old Sedgwick County Sheriff's Deputy, one week ago today, lost his life. Actually, saying that he lost his life is, is the wrong way to say it. He gave his life. He confronted an evil man at 21st Street and 295th Street West. And that evil man took aim at Deputy Kunze and shot him. His last words after the emergency call went out over the radio were three words, I've been shot. And that was the last we heard from Deputy Kunze. As he breathed his last breaths in life, he used those last bits of life to shoot and kill the evil man who would have shot two innocent bystanders who were standing nearby. He gave his life to save two lives nearby. And we understand what it means to bring excellence to the very end. This past Friday, I and thousands of other Wichitans filled Central Community Church to honor a man who lived and died with excellence. The most touching part, as I watched the service, was his 10-year-old daughter. And the emotions, obviously, were high. But the little girl said, my, da- my dad died very bravely. He died protecting others. I don't know Deputy Kunze's story, but the way he brought excellence to his job to the very end is what I want to encourage you all to do. I don't know if you'll face a life or death situation, but I do know that excellence is a choice. Deputy Kunze is a hero, but there's one other hero that gave his life. He didn't lose his life. He gave it up for you and I. He confronted evil so that we might not have to. He died very bravely. And three days later, he rose that we might have the opportunity to know life and to know light. This morning, if you do not know Christ, if you've not put Christ on in baptism, if you are not following Jesus Christ, come forward. Uh, myself or one of our shepherds will help you and, and show you how to do that. You can do that today. And if you are in Christ, may his light be shining through you. May you be living your life 
Not just phoning it in, not just going through the motions, but in all you do, giving goodness and excellence in everything. Not because of who you are, but because of what Christ did for you. This morning, if you have a need, please meet us down front as together we stand and sing.